Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of this show. Today I've got Tom Peavy with me and Brooks Childress. We have a shortened edition of the show today. We'll be on air from 3 till 5 on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon after all the rains have gone through the area, all the storms. Hope everyone made it through all right. I know there were a couple... Uh, really bad ones down in Florida and then in South Alabama, but uh, made it through this neck of the woods. So we'll be with you till about 5 o'clock today because Borgard High School basketball will be coming up around 5.15 today. So we will be getting off air early. It's good to be back. Uh, my first show in a few days. Battled some illness. That is uh, typical for this time of year. And uh, I'm feeling good and ready to get back at it. It's such a shame. There's just nothing to talk about when I come back. Uh, not a bunch of coordinator uh, news to talk about or coordinator openings. Uh, certainly not a national championship game last night. Certainly not great Auburn basketball things. Really, really hate that there's nothing meaningful to talk about today. But, no, there's a lot to talk about. We'll talk about all that and more coming up in this two-hour edition of the program. Brooks will only be with us for one hour as he goes out to Valley, Alabama, for that Beauregard basketball game against Valley. So he'll be with us for an hour, Tom, and myself for two hours. And we're excited to be with you here on this Tuesday. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us at 3.30. And, of course, we want to hear from you on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Ryan, Tom, and Brooks with you here on this Tuesday. Start with you, Tom P. Hey. Good to see your smiling face again. I hope yes. you are well. I'm well. Uh, I'm a little tired because uh, I'm a weather junkie just like you are, Ryan. And I was up until about... Eight o'clock this morning. Oh. Watching, uh, uh, watching the Weather Channel, but I was watching um, Storm Chaser Reed Timmer. Okay, yeah, uh, I know who that is. Yeah, I was following his live feed, and I watched him go from. Uh, I picked him up outside of uh, Biloxi, and I pretty much watched him, followed him and his stream all the way from Biloxi through Mobile, through Pensacola. All the way over to Destin, Navarre, Santa Rosa. He actually intercepted a tornado coming ashore in Santa Rosa. Now, it was pitch black dark at the time because mm -hmm. the sun did not quite come up. But you could tell that it, it was definitely uh, cyclonish when it uh, hit him in Santa Rosa Beach. Uh, and then another chase was trying to get to Panama City where they had significant damage from a, a system that came through. And I actually watched it. Uh, on the ra on, on the radio, I watched it on <laughs> on the on the uh, feed or on my uh, oh, radar, not radio, on radar. And you could see it out in the Gulf, and it had this 
huge hook echo. Um, and so for people that don't know, if you have like a big ball of a storm and on the backside it makes like a C, that's air getting sucked into it and wrapping around, and that's like a sure sign of circulation. This thing out just off the coast of Panama City was just like, holy goodness, look at that. I mean, it was like one of the most well-defined hook echoes that you could imagine. And all of us were like typing to read, and they were like, Panama City is about to get absolutely blasted, major hook echo. And uh, it, it came ashore and did a lot of damage. So that's what I did all morning. Now, last night. I watched a football game, uh-huh. and so uh, yeah, it wasn't all weather, but uh, <laughs> I, I do get I do get excited with some weather stuff. I I might need to be a storm chaser one of these days. But uh, yeah. uh, football game went about as uh, the championship game went about like I thought it would. Um, the score is not really indicative of how close it was. Uh, you just if you didn't watch it, and you look at the game, and you're like, oh well, that was just a blowout. Like well, yeah, it was a seven point game until the fourth quarter, and yeah. Michigan made it 14, and then, you know, Washington just couldn't do anything. So, uh, good stuff there, good stuff. Uh, Auburn basketball over the week, and looking forward towards a, a big game today against Texas A&M. And then, of course, all the other stuff. Offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, transfer portal, recruiting. Yeah, Quinshawn yeah. Judkins is now at Ohio, at Ohio State, so they're going to have an absolutely ridiculous backfield now that Judkins is – become a Buckeye. I thought it was interesting that they announced that as soon as Michigan won the national yep. title. We're, we're on the next year. <laughs> yeah, uh, The way too early polls come out. And like, oh, you just won the national title? Guess what? We just got Quinshawn Judkins. Loading up for next year. Yeah. yeah, so we've got a lot to talk about. Brooks Childress also on the show for the first hour today on this Tuesday. Brooks, I want to again thank you for filling in the host seat the last couple of shows, and I hope that you are well here on this Tuesday. You're back! I am back. I'm on the other side of the the the, the bench again, and so I I, I do like uh, filling in for you from time to time. But I also like being over here because that means you're back in the host seat, uh, and it's always a fun time when you're you're over there. But great day. Uh, I was also awake uh, early this morning because of storms, but I was not as interested in them as, as you were, Tom. <laughs> I was more so listening to the wind whip through the uh, the apartment complex and hear the potted plants on the uh, on the patio go crashing down and so mm-hmm. that was a uh, not a great thing to to hear um got a little nervous with some of the the big wind gusts last night but the you know it, it, we it worked out fine nothing nothing happened um but uh other than that football game was fun last night uh michigan uh came out played really good they uh as is was said at the uh the watch party i was at somebody said michigan came out feeling the cheesiest coach um <laughs> But it was a it was a really really fun football game. It just felt like and I I, I yesterday on the show predicted Washington win. Uh, it just felt like they never got off the ground. It never felt like PJ, uh, PJ it never felt like uh, uh, Michael Penix uh, ever got the got it going. They, he had a few big throws that you you know you were like oh this is it this is where he, you know he starts to get get things going. But immediately those were called back by holding calls or, or, or different penalties, and so uh, wide receivers couldn't hang on to the football at different points during that second half. And so it was a fun football game. Um, Michigan, the national champions. Uh, I really enjoyed watching a football game where I didn't have to sit there and root or uh, have an outcome of, of significance toward uh, toward my team. Uh, and so it was it was really fun. 
uh, Auburn basketball gearing up for a big game tonight as you open a conference play at home uh, against Texas A&M, a team that has beat them, what, five of the last six times they've played, I think's the stat. Uh, and so that's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting challenge inside Neville Arena tonight. Uh, but, uh, and then, as you mentioned, Tom, some uh, offensive news today about the uh, the going forward with some of the play calling uh, for, for Auburn football and uh, what they're going to do with the quote-unquote OC position. And then also, it's uh, we talked about it yesterday, breaking news, the final hour of the show yesterday, but Auburn's in the market for a defensive coordinator. Don't know what they're going to do there. I'm sure uh, our callers have some opinions on that. I'm sure we will uh, dive into that too here uh, shortly, but can't wait to do it. Absolutely. So without further ado, on this shorter show, uh, let's go ahead and dive right into it. Let's dive into the offensive side of the ball because that's where the newest news appears to be. Now, I have still monitored a lot of these beat guys and what they put out publicly. Again, I'm not usually on the message boards. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing. I don't know. Uh, but these, with Auburn Beat has not confirmed this report. They have not added to it uh, since this morning. So I do want to go ahead and tell you that. However, the report this morning from ESPN's Chris Lowe was that Hugh Freeze will call his own plays on offense next season. Uh, he said Freeze looked at a couple of different options after firing Philip Montgomery, but is taking over play calling duties. Auburn was 11th in the SEC in scoring offense in 2023. All right, so this is not a big surprise. I think that once Philip Montgomery was fired, I think that the tone shifted to there's some sort of desire for Hugh Freeze to get more involved. And I think the 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 cries have been for him to get more involved too. I think from most corners of the Auburn fan base, I think that obviously, as you guys have said on the show here the last couple of days, Hugh Freeze was known for two things at Ole Miss. He was known for recruiting and he was known for offense. And uh, he wanted to focus on the recruiting part of it at Ole Miss or excuse me, in his first year here at Auburn, and he he did. But there's also the acknowledgement that you have to do it all in a big-time SEC job. And obviously year one offensively was a train wreck. I don't even think that you can sugarcoat it. I think that there was nothing real in the progress department really all season long. If you want to say Jarquez Hunter ran the football better in the second half, sure, but even that in the Maryland game went awry, awry a little bit. So there was really not any discernible progress offensively. So that's why we knew Philip Montgomery was definitely not safe. So he makes the decision the end of last week, and then we start thinking about coordinating candidates. And something you said yesterday, I believe, Tom, I think it's you that said it yesterday, that Hugh Free strikes you as somebody that probably similar to Gus Malzahn is not going to necessarily trust a wide array of people to run his offense. And I agree with that. And I think with when you couple that thought process with how poor it went, his first time trusting someone else with it, I don't think it's a huge surprise to see him go ahead and call the plays. Are you surprised it's happening in year two? Did you think it would wait a little bit longer? Or, again, assuming this report from Chris Lowe is correct, like is this the right timing to go ahead and step back in the play calling duties? Uh, all right, so kind of a little bit to unpack there. First of all, the move had to be made. The, what was happening with the Philip Montgomery deal was obviously not working. Uh, I think there was a differing of philosophy, differing of whatever, and, and it had to burn Hugh Freeze up. It, if everything went the way that he said that it was going to go, where he was not going to be involved with it, he was going to let Montgomery call the plays, 
and he would just kind of give input. It had to burn him up as an offensive guy to watch this offense just massively struggle and feel like there's nothing you could do short of just taking over in the middle of the season. And I didn't think he wanted to do that um, just for continuity's sake, even though there was no continuity <laughs> with anything. Um, now, as far as him taking over, if if you know if that's what uh, actually happens, uh, you say Chris Lowe. Yeah, uh, yeah if, if Chris Lowe's report is correct. Um, I'm fine with that. I said this on yesterday's show. Uh, I I don't care. I don't. I honestly don't care which route they go. I just just fix it. Whatever you have to do to fix it, fix it because it is broken. I mean, badly, badly, badly broken. If fixing it means that you call plays and you bring somebody else in here to just be OC as just title alone, and they're just kind of a, a heavy dose, heavy deal recruiter. And a position coach, I'm good with that. If you want to stay on the outside and bring somebody in to call it, okay, that's fine too. Just whatever you do, fix it. I, I don't care which route you go. It just has to be fixed. I feel like that the better chance of fixing it is Hugh Freeze taking over and calling plays because I think he has the trust issues. I think if he knows what he wants to do and if he knows how it needs to go, then he needs to be the one doing it. And so I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, now, when when you say that, though, you also have to be able to realize when it's time to step back if, if even what you're doing is not working. And then, you know, you have to kind of look and maybe bring somebody else in with, so, you know, some different eyes or different thoughts or something. I hate to say this, but it feels like we're kind of running into the Gus Malzahn thing where, you know, Gus would bring somebody in and would run it, but it was like, well, is they, are they really running or is it Gus running it? And then it's they're not running it, Gus is running it. But then, well, then that's not working and are they, somebody else is coming in. I, you know, I hope we're not falling into that. Um, so, but, but still with Hugh Freeze, if, if he's going to do it, if he's going to call the plays, uh, you know, I, I I hope it's successful, but again, you you have to be able to be big enough to also step yourself back if even that's not working. But I think it's going to work. I think that's the route to go, and I I think it'll be successful. But then you have to question, you know, who you're going to bring in here, uh, and and at what spot, you know, are you going to bring in a quarterback coach? Are you going to make some other moves on the staff, which you know have been rumored, but uh. Like I said, I I just want it fixed. Whatever you have to do to fix it, just fix the dang gum thing. I uh, you know the report from Chris Lowe came out today. It's it's basically mirroring the report we saw Friday from two four seven's Matt Zenitz, who said almost the same thing uh, Friday when it was uh, when the Montgomery news came out. Uh, he reported that too, and you know this feels like it's it's echoing that and kind of you know this was came from a source somewhere that that wanted this out, but. I, I agree. I, I think that Hugh Freeze is the guy that, you know, we, we've talked about it on the program the last few days. He built his career on play calling. I, you know, I know in, in the Chris Lowe article, it, it references how, you know, this it, it's getting ever more complicated for head coaches to be the ones calling the plays. But, you know, Hugh Freeze, uh, he there was several times this year that, you know, you, you sat in those weekly pressers and he was, you know, he was asked about play calling and everything. And he 
you know, he, he kind of was, uh, you know, upset that there wasn't as many, you know, let's say, you know, early in the season, wasn't as many RPOs. There wasn't, you know, there was stuff that he was not happy about. And we we're like, well, you can get in there and do it. But there was always, you know, I'm, you know, I'm out recruiting most of the time. I'm, I'm trying to get, you know, recruit, recruit, recruit. I, as, as you know, as, as you know, we're, we're an Auburn radio show at, at some point. We try to be a little more, you know, down the middle. But at, at the end of the day, you know, it's what documented. We're all, you know, Auburn supporters. I want Hugh Freeze to be successful as the Auburn head coach. Um, the, the way you are successful, though, is I do not want you as the head coach to continue to blame uh, different a- aspects, i.e., I don't want you to continue to use the excuse of I was out recruiting. That's why we're we're bad. Uh, yeah. And so I don't think Tom, you, you went down the, the the path there. I don't think this is going to get to that point where it's a, a Gus Malzahn uh, level of oh, you know, I'm taking back over. Oh, it's not actually working. Now I'm going to hand it off. I do don't think I, I think all the the boosters, all the the supporters of Auburn football saw that with Gus. And they're they're not going to let that happen. Uh, I think I mentioned it on Friday. You know, it it is a uh, it, when when Philip Montgomery was uh, parted ways with with the program. Hugh Freeze talked about all uh, all year how everybody, the boosters, the administration, everybody was in lockstep with the football program right now. That's great, but you if you're Hugh Freeze, you don't want them to then be in, everyone in lockstep against you here in the next year or two, and so there needs to be some sort of uh, change, and I think that starts with this is what you built your career on. This is you know, what you sold Auburn that you were going to be able to do, that you were going to be able to improve this team, uh, and you were going to take it to a place where Gus Malzahn didn't have it, and where Brian Harson sure didn't have it, and part of that is to go back to what you you are you built your career on, and make sure that program gets back to the point where it's it is a a national uh, playoff contender, uh, especially with this twelve team playoff. Now, in a few years, say you get that offense back to a good spot, and you say, all right, now I want to step back and be the CEO guy. I'm going to hand it off to somebody. Good. But don't, uh, as Houston, like you said, Tom, don't have it. It's mine. Now it's yours. Now it's mine. Now it's yours. Right. Don't do that. 334-887-3401, locally or toll-free, one tiger 9 to join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We have time for one phone call before we chat with Justin Ferguson at 3.30. Anthony from Auburn. Anthony is with us. Anthony, how are you today? Doing good. And you guys? Doing well. Thanks for squeezing me in. You know, uh... Well, the season is finally over with all the games played and this and that. And we all got a chance to see what you may have had, may not have, and the ups and downs and this and that through the whole season. I think first things first, the offensive line going to be brought in there before anything can really happen. I mean, you got to get on that recruiting trail and bring in those linemen, whether it be out of high school. But I would almost believe that you're going to have to get somebody from uh, – it's already uh, transferring in from another school or something, or, or a JUCO route. They build a line right now to give you a kind of quick fix until you can develop the uh, young alignment uh, that you recruit out of high school. And you got to bring in an offensive uh, uh, line coach. I mean, to my understanding, Matt Luke has been regarded as uh, one of the top offensive line coaches uh, in the country for the last four or five years. So you're gonna have to figure out who those top five uh, top five offensive line coaches are. Or whether you can get Luke or, or maybe somebody else in that top five, you have to bring them in here and pay them some money and put them to work. Uh, I mean, you know, if you don't have offensive line that's going to be able to get gritty and help you uh, line up and knock somebody off the ball where you can get those two or three yards, get that first down when you need to do that, or, or get in that pass protection stance and, and, and pass block where the guy can throw the ball and hit some of those talented receivers y'all got coming in. If you ain't got that, then ain't nothing going to happen. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they took a, their first stride towards improving the line this year. I don't think it was a great offensive line, but I do think it was marketably better than it had been the last couple of years. Now, they did not recruit maybe as well at offensive line as I would have liked for them to have. They, they did get two players. One of them was a big-time four-star guy that's like 330 pounds, DeAndre Carter, out of the state of, out of California. But certainly there's more work to do on that offensive line. And, and obviously we saw just last night with Michigan winning a title. I mean, those two offensive lines, Michigan had won the Joe Moore Award for a best offensive line the previous two years, and Washington had won it this year. And you saw that those were the two teams in the national title game. So obviously offensive line, it's not the sexy thing to talk about, but it gets the job done. Oh, you talked about recruiting, and he spent so much time doing that. But don't they have a lot of analysts and people on staff that could uh, alleviate that problem for him and get out on that trail? I mean, I don't know what the rules are today. They change from year to year as far as recruiting. But, uh, you know, I know full-time coaches can only uh, go visit so many times or this or that. But how about some of those people that are designated as uh, analysts or special support to the coach that can represent the university that know football? you got former coaches that are over there trying to rebuild themselves like they do now. Why not get those guys out uh, on that recruiting trail, talking to high school coaches and meeting players and, and, t- and watching a lot? I know they watch a lot of film and see who is who and, and, and what you might need to go after. And and, uh, and and get at it. Well, well, he does do that, and they all do that. But but think of it, Anthony. If you're a recruit and, and, and you've got coaches that are coming to see you, wouldn't you love to see not only the position coach that might be coaching you, but wouldn't you love to see the head coach come and visit you too? Well, you get him there as much as you can, but you must understand this, this man running the program got a lot going on. He might not be able to make all the visits, but we look here. But you, know, you got to tell him we love you anyway. We got a representative of him. We're going we're gonna to get him here, but we, we need to get you on campus. Where you can see what we got going on, and we get you uh, where you can sit down and talk. But you know, if you think about it, ain't any of him hollering and crying and carrying on because Mike Loxley and everybody else has got to juggle the same responsibility. You look at a team like Maryland that don't have the financial pocket that Auburn got or the big SEC paychecks that come in. I mean, they did get some, but nothing like that probably. But yeah, he's got to put a staff together. He's got to uh, come up with a game plan or be involved in all that stuff and, and wear many hats, just like uh, Hugh Freeze. I mean, being a husband or. Uh, to his wife and father to the kids and grandkids and, and running around kissing babies and all these speaking engagements and everything that a head coach does. I mean, running a program and dealing with players and staff and, 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 and people and, and people that donate money, donors and all those kind of people. You got to do it. Everybody's doing the same thing. And he's trying to build a program too. But, you know, when you look at Auburn, Auburn should have a better time than somebody like that because you got Auburn's name and Auburn this and Auburn that. I mean, so, I mean, what are you selling when you're going out on a recruiting trail? Yeah, I mean, you're you're selling that uh, part of what you just talked about a little bit about what Auburn can be, what it was uh, in the not too distant past, and also Hugh Freeze's acumen while already in this league at sending some players to the league. Obviously, you're not going to be selling much about this year, other than the fact that hey, look how close you were in certain games, and we don't have the talent that that you're going to have for us. So. Uh, there's still plenty of things to sell. I mean, obviously, 130 schools have to think of things to sell, but I, I don't think Auburn's short in that department. Well, you know, uh, depending on what you're selling, I mean, some schools you can sell the uh, engineering department, like the Greg Carr, when we talked about him. Well, you can sell him the engineering department, but somebody else, you might have to sell them something else, whatever that is. I mean, playing time, being on TV, but, but you know, nowadays with everybody being on TV, that ain't really a big sale because everybody's on TV. You don't care who you are on, on some kind of channel. You know, whether that, I mean, you got a national broadcast or a regional broadcast, uh, some way, whether it's ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN Plus, uh, I mean, sports, uh, Fox Sports, or, or whoever, Tubi TV, or, 
uh, you know, Amazon or whoever got the thing. I mean, ABC, CBS. I mean, everybody's got Turner or whoever. I mean, you know, so whatever you got to do. But, uh, you know, like I'm saying, uh, offensive line coach needs to be addressed. The coach they got, perhaps he needs to be let go, too. You to let both coordinators go. So why not go ahead and usher the offensive line coach on out the door and, and look for who that top five or top seven offensive line coaches are in the country and, and uh, conduct some interviews? Put some cash out there. Put the right kind of money out there. And you look, I mean, think about it. You can't say that Auburn ain't a program worth coming to be a coach and in and, and a building process hoping to get to Hallelujah Land. You can't say it's not. I mean, you know, versus uh, some of the other programs in the country. I mean, you know, go ahead and uh, see if Matt Luke want to entertain coming back and working with Hugh Freeze. To my understanding, they was together at Ole Miss and uh, whatnot uh, when he was there. So they got the history together. I think his name has popped up, but he's at Clemson, so you're going to have to be able to lure him away from Clemson, and it's going to take some money. I'd say probably about $1.5 because I'm not mistaken, when Georgia had him, they were paying him 900000 with him being uh, a former head coach and uh, whatnot and the experience he got over the years. So it's going to probably take about $1.5 million, maybe $1.8. I don't know if Clemson get in the bidding war or, or whatnot. But, uh, and go ahead and bring the man in if you're talking about doing this or doing that. I mean, you know, why not? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I certainly respect Matt Luke tremendously. Uh, I do agree that he is one of the top O-line coaches in the country. He had taken a year off, obviously, last year, so it was interesting to see him go ahead and hop right back in uh, and, and go there with, with Clemson. Uh, and, look, I, I think that, again, I think that he is a top O-line coach. I, I do want to mention again that I do think uh, Auburn's current O-line coach did a, a fair job this year. I'm not saying the line was awesome, but, I, again, I do think it improved. Uh, and you're talking about years of not having a, a lot of big-time talent and offensive line due to some recruiting issues. So I don't think the job was a bad job there, but uh, I, I certainly think that Matt Luke uh, w- would be considered for this open offensive position. But like I said, it starts all up front. You didn't get really offensive coordinator, throw them on the bus and kick them on out of town. The offensive line coach need to go to. A fair job ain't going to cut the mustard. It's just not going to do it. So you think about it now, uh, Auburn ain't beat Georgia, Alabama. I think in the last year of uh, Gus Malzahn, didn't do it. For two years, he had Harson didn't do it, and didn't do it this year. People going to run out of patience. I mean, I understand that uh, Freeze going into year two. But people want to win. They don't want to continue to be sitting there, oh, we almost got there. We almost like to made it. People are tired of that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, going into this year, too, uh, I'm going to tell you like this. I'm going to say it now. He's going to have to probably win eight games if he want to keep his job. I, I don't think another uh, six and seven or seven five next year is going to be. I'll put it like this. Now, if he goes seven five next year, he's going to have to have a win against Alabama or either Georgia or either both or, or something. But I don't think you can lose to them. Then isn't Texas on the schedule? Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Oh my God! Well, see, you got an old Big Eight champion, Oklahoma, on the schedule. National champion with all the Heisman Trophy winners and legends and all that whole thing that we all know about. See, you got them on the schedule, and that ain't helping you none with a schedule like that. And then uh, mess around. He can't. He gonna have to win seven. I say he's gonna win eight games. Anything less than that. Either uh, some more assistants going to be fired or he's probably going to be out the door or something. I don't know. I, I almost believe somebody's going to have to go. But, uh, you know, he didn't got rid of two coaches now. I think West – didn't uh, McGriff leave? Yes, for Texas A&M. All right, he took off. So, all of a sudden, he didn't got over the personal issues he had and got and uh, got himself together, and he's ready to coach now, huh? Yeah. 
Yep. And Anthony, we got to get to this interview here at three thirty. All right. Well, y'all enjoy the interview. Thanks. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. That's Anthony from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to take a real quick timeout. When we come back, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger ninety five point nine. into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm you asked and we listened tattoo tuesday is back on the tiger listen to tilly the elder emo on tiger 95.9 on tuesdays for your chance to win a free tattoo from our friends at against all odds tattoo and piercings in auburn the mosh pit muse will give you all the details on how you can win your new ink so make sure you listen to your favorite alternative rock in the afternoons and you could win yourself a new tattoo it's the return of tattoo tuesday from against all odds tattoo and piercings at tiger 95.9 follow sports call on twitter at sports call au like us on facebook at sports call au Welcome back to Sports Call on this Tuesday. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here. Again, a shortened edition of the show, so we'll be getting off there about 5 o'clock today. For now, we go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, though, and we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Justin, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are things in your world today? I'm doing all right. How are you? Doing very well. Let's start with some basketball before we get uh, into uh, a couple more football questions as uh, the Tigers had a, a special weekend in Bud Walton Arena. Uh, and just first and foremost, Justin, how did we go from one road game losing at Appalachian State, albeit a fair team, but at Appalachian State, to the largest win uh, by a visiting team in Bud Walton Arena history? Yeah, I think it shows how much the, the App State loss was kind of an outlier for Auburn this year. Um, you go back to that game, Auburn had a real chance to win despite like one of the worst shooting performances you're ever going to see from this team uh, in that game. And then, you know, really since then, they've they've played just phenomenal basketball. Um, this is a team that is just blowing out pretty much everybody they faced. And, and, and Arkansas, like, Arkansas, anybody who was there, anybody who watched on, on Saturday, Midway through the second half, they kind of just gave up. You don't beat a team with Arkansas's talent by 32 in their own building without a little help from them. So, I think that's part of it. Like, don't don't get drawn into the to the you know point total too much. Uh, but Auburn's just playing with a ton of confidence right now, and I think that App State loss really was a reset for a lot of players. I think Auburn, you know, chalks up a lot of that loss to. You know, the fact that it was just a really bad shooting performance. It was an outlier of a shooting performance for them. And really, since then, I mean, they have just been playing their brand of basketball as efficiently and as confidently as they can. And um, you, you pair that up against an Arkansas team that's got some issues and isn't really clicking at this point in the year, uh, it could get out of, out of hand in a hurry, and it definitely did in this game. Uh, one of the things with this team that has been uh, discussed quite a bit is the depth and, and just what they have coming off the bench. But realistically, I mean, 
How many teams out there in the country can outscore somebody 46 to 9 off the bench? <laughs> Not very many. Um, <laughs> you know, Auburn leads the country among major conference teams in bench minutes. Um, you know, and, and I think when you consider a guy like, you know, Auburn starts Chris Moore at the three, and it's one of those, like, if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix it kind of things. Chris Moore gives you is a tone setter with his rebounding, with his defense, his hustle. He's not a guy who's going to give you a lot of stats, and obviously Chad Baker Mazzara is, is, you know, playing exceptional basketball right now. But Bruce likes to start him as a tone setter, and Chad ends up playing more, more minutes in the three. So, you know, you, you've got some bench guys that, depending on how the game goes, we've seen this with Trey Donaldson. We've seen this uh, a little bit uh, at times with, with Katie Johnson. You know, depending on how the game goes, your guys who were coming off the bench might end up playing more than the starters do. Um, so, I mean, this is a bench that plays pretty equally with the, with the starters. You know, you rarely get a guy who just gets a ton of minutes. I mean, you're, 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 your best players on this team are averaging 25, 26, 27 minutes a game. So um, everybody's contributing, and it really, really makes it tough for teams to guard you and, and, and have to deal with you for all 40 minutes because, you know, one thing to keep an eye out, and we saw it in the Arkansas game, and we've seen it in so many games this year, but one of the, one of the defining characteristics of this team uh, in the next time you watch Auburn basketball, you might want to take, take note of this, Watching the first half when Auburn goes to their bench and they get all the bench guys on the floor and notice how quickly they usually go on runs. Because when Auburn goes to their bench and the other teams go into their bench, it is, it's kind of lopsided because Auburn's just so used to doing it and they're doing it earlier and they're fresher and they're able to stagger their lineups a lot more. So to answer your question, I, there isn't very many you know teams in the country, uh, especially major conference teams, that even want to play that way. And I think the big reason for it is because it's hard to tell a bunch of kids who are really good basketball players, hey, you're going to come in here and you, you're not going to play 30 minutes a night. You're not going to take every shot that you want. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to sacrifice a lot. And I think that just shows what kind of culture and what kind of identity Bruce Pearl has built um, because he's got some really good basketball players who could be playing a lot more minutes somewhere else and scoring a lot more points in other places really sacrificing and playing great team basketball. And the result is, you know, Auburn's one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Justin, you know, you look at this team, uh, it, it enters, enters conference play. You, you got the win at Arkansas this past weekend. You're, you're facing a Texas A&M team tonight. There's a lot of teams in this conference that can really score the basketball this year. Uh, talk about the, the Tigers' defense and how it stacks up against some of the better offensive teams in the SEC as we start play. Well, we came into the year talking about Auburn's defense, and Bruce Pearl was very concerned about his defense. He said, I don't know how we're going to be able to hold up this year uh, on defense. And I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that trepidation came from the young guys, especially a point guard, uh, with, you know, the fact that Aiden Holloway is a smaller, skinny point guard, uh, with the fact that Trey Donaldson is a guy that is a good defender, and Aiden Holloway is a good defender too, uh, but it's just not a lot of experience. And, you know, a lot of SEC teams have just really deep experience backcourt. So um, those guys have done a really good job. And, and it's this kind of – this defense, and when you have that depth and that balance, uh, you've got some real weapons across the floor. This is a team that, you know, they force turnovers. Uh, they can play zone. They can play man. Um, you know, they've, they've done a really good job of, uh, of blocking shots. But I wrote about it today, the Observer. The biggest difference in this defense – from years past under uh, under Auburn, is that this Auburn team is defensive rebounding, you know, cleaning the glass 
way better than any other team Bruce Pearl's ever had. You know, that has been the Achilles heel. It's kind of been the weakness. Some of that's been by design over the years, a small ball team, you know, transition-based team. You're not going to be as great on the offensive or on the defensive glass because of that. This team, though, is really making sure that teams only go one and done on their possessions. You go back to the Arkansas game on Saturday, Arkansas's first six possessions were missed shots, defensive rebounds by Auburn. And that really stacks up over time. So this Auburn defense doesn't have, you know, a Walker Kessler, even though Jen is a very good uh, rim protector. This Auburn defense doesn't have an Isaac Okoro or a Zepp Jasper just kind of just super locked down backcourt defender either. But what they do have is they're a really good pack mentality kind of defensive rebounding team. And when you do some of everything really well and you really make the effort to be physical and, 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 and attack the glass – you can be a better defense because you're not giving the other team a lot of opportunities to score. Um, you know, by you, just the the numbers will work out. Where that's going to you know really come into question is probably going to be tonight because Texas A&M is the number one offensive rebounding team in the country, and they're going to really challenge Auburn in that area. And that's going to what that's what's going to make this matchup really really fun. On top of the fact that also Texas A&M has a backcourt of Wade Taylor and. Tyrese Radford, who are two of the most experienced and prolific scoring guards in in the SEC. They have given Auburn the blues the last few years. And even though they haven't been consistently great this season, like last you know, last time out, I believe I think, you know, it was like only fifty three points or something like that. A and M scored against L S U on sat uh, on Saturday at home. They have the ability to kind of light you up at any moment. So it's gonna be a real big test. Even though Auburn's a good favorite, they're at home, they're playing really, really well. And I'm kind of built to attack what what Auburn really needs to get attacked in, and it's. I think this is going to be a really good test to see how far this team is, you know, here in game two. And, and Ferg, I'm sure that we've asked you something along this line in, in recent years as Auburn has continued to struggle with Texas A&M under Bruce Pearl and, of course, Buzz Williams in particular. Uh, is there anything in particular that Buzz Williams' team do that this don't match up well with Auburn teams? It's just why has this been such a one-sided affair, despite Auburn as a program still probably being more successful over the last five or six years? I think A&M is pretty unique, um, and Bruce talked about this yesterday. A&M is pretty unique in, in the way they run some stuff. Um, they, they switch up their defenses really well. Um, they've got experience, continuity. Buzz Williams is a great coach, great X's and O's guy. He does a really good job of keeping you know the the other guy on on his toes with his calls. Um, and, and Bruce has said like he feels like you know he said yesterday he feels like that Buzz and might have outcoached him the last few times they've they've crossed paths. Um, I think the other thing too is just it's a A and M basketball really is it's a super physical team, and and I think not to say Auburn has not played physical basketball over the last few years, but I do think A and M really tests you in that area. And if you aren't if you aren't matching them with that strength, especially down low and that power, and you're not really thumping with them, um, it can really get out of hand. You go back to last year, Auburn went to A&M, gave up a ton of free throws uh, in that game. I gave up a ton of free throws in the one here too. Um, they just weren't you know weren't able to physically hold up against A&M. And I think some of the teams from Auburn, even the really good teams for the last few years, haven't been able to quite hold up against that. I think this team is better built to handle it because of that depth, because of that balance, because of the way they're playing on the on the glass this year. I think they're better built to handle this particular A&M team than in years past. But that remains to be seen, and that's what that's going to be. You know why it's a big test tonight. There's a reason why. You know more than any other team in the SEC, A&M A&M's had Auburn's number. So be a good 
you know, a good opportunity tonight if Auburn's able to win to show that, hey, this team might be further along than we thought it was. Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. So, Ferg, let's talk a little football real quick with Auburn. Obviously, two coordinators down now after the events of the last week. Let's start offensively. There's been some recent reporting that Hugh Freeze will uh, take over play calling duties. Uh, if so, what are your thoughts on that? And then what is Auburn looking for there in an offensive coordinator if Freeze is going to call plays? Yeah, not surprised at all that Hugh Freeze is, is leaning in that direction. It's been reported um, by a few places over the last few days. As soon as the Philip Montgomery firing was made official, I wrote about this last Friday, the Observer, I, I felt like this is where this was heading. Um, you know, Hugh Freeze made his bones as a college coach, uh, as an offensive play caller. And, and you know, he took a step back from that last year because he felt like he needed to put more effort and energy and resources into recruiting. And while the recruiting worked for Auburn this year, you know, top set, you know, top ten class speaks for itself. What Free said after the game against uh, against Maryland, where he said he felt like he could have done better for this team and he didn't do a good enough job as a coach, you know, with the 2023 team. I think it's part of it is that he was not comfortable, or he was not, he didn't feel like he was at his best because he wasn't doing what has made him the coach that's gotten him to this point. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you know, Freeze would be contemplating making that move. Now, is it a challenge to be a major SEC head coach and be the offensive play caller? Absolutely. Um, that's the case, you know, I think in, in a variety, a variety of, uh, you know, big-name jobs across – and I think you'd even look in the NFL as well, you know, when head coaches are, you know, play callers and the, and the challenges that brings on. But I think it's a – I think it's a way of freeze of looking freeze looking at this situation and saying, "Hey, we got to be better next year." I don't think anybody's going to sit here and say, "Hey, Auburn's going to go win a championship next season or contend for a championship," but they got to be much better than they were this year, this season, especially on the offensive side. And freeze putting his hands back on the offense, I think is just going to be the best case for this team, just in the fact that your head coach is going to feel is most comfortable. And we'll see if it works or not. But, you know, I think your best bet of it working is if he feels like he's doing what he needs to do and what he's most comfortable with doing. And I thought, you know, the Gus Malzahn era was a good example of that. When Gus was in control of the offense and calling his plays, it seemed like it was more consistent. Now, when things started kind of going sideways and, and he, you know, went off and on on play calling and all that, it kind of got jumbled up there. Um, so I think if you're a coach like Freeze, you need to get your hands back on play calling. You need to go ahead and do that. What that means for offensive coordinator, you know, I, I, I do think there's a really good chance that next season you, you see something like, uh, you know, a scenario where Ken Austin, who has already been on staff and has already been, you know, somebody who's been Freeze's offensive coordinator and quarterback coach in the past, just slide up into that role. Um, there have been other names that have been floated out there um, that would make sense, but that would probably, you know, cause some shuffling elsewhere on the staff uh, with other offensive position coaches. So, you know, I think I'd be surprised if Austin, if Ken Austin's not a guy who's going to be calling, you know, coaching your quarterbacks next season. Whether Auburn brings in somebody else like a Derek Nix or, you know, I've heard people talk about Damian Craig and, you know, several others. If Auburn brings in somebody like that, you're probably looking at some shuffling around uh, on the offensive side. Uh, but I do think the bottom line is, is that Freeze is going to take responsibility for this offense next year. He, 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 you know, he looked at it at recruiting. He did a really good job in recruiting this year. Everybody knows that, but recruiting can only get you so far. You got to start showing, you know, some progress and, 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 and some success on the field, especially on offense. And, um, 
you know, he, he's going he's gonna to be able to take that on his shoulders when he's play calling next year. And then, Ferg, we did want to ask you real quickly about the defensive side of the ball, too. Was that a bit of a yeah. surprise for Ron Roberts to leave? And, and again, uh, is it a, a stylistic difference? Is there, Are they wanting a, a different defensive philosophy? Kind of what's the goal there? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not 100% sure what's going on here. I, I didn't think that, you know, I, I didn't think that Roberts was a guy that was, like, imminent to leave. I had heard, you know, from the last few weeks that there was a chance that he wouldn't be back, that Auburn would get another defense court there. I do think that the sign that they had hired Charles Kelly, and, you know, Charles Kelly's already been, he's in Auburn already working, and they haven't announced him yet. I think that's kind of a sign that, hey, well, maybe they're waiting for some things to kind of shake out. So, you know, that probably could have been something you could have picked up on a little quicker. But, you know, I thought Ron Roberts, thought he did a, a good job of what he had uh, this season. I thought this, this you know, there were, some te- there were some problems with the defense for sure, and they had their deficiencies and their mistakes. But I thought he did a good job of what he had. And I was looking to see if, you know, maybe some continuity there would be helpful for Auburn next season on defense. But, uh, you know, they're going in a different direction. So that's going to put a little more pressure on whoever's next to be that defense, defensive coordinator. I think, you know, whoever that's going to be is going to inherit you know, a secondary that's going to be in transition, a defensive line that needs to to re- reload. You've got some linebackers you can build around for sure. Um, so there's talent here. There's something to build with. Um, you know, so and I think it's tough to to replace both of your coordinators in one off season, um, especially for a newer head coach. But it's not impossible. Um, I would have I would have thought we would have seen some more continuity, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, um, you know, after this season, but. Um, they're going in a different direction. Roberts is going in a different direction. And uh, we'll see what Auburn ends up doing on that side. There have already been some names floated out there um, that kind of you know, are interesting to me um, when it comes to maybe a defensive coordinator pickup. You know, um, I've heard Zach Arnett's name um, you know, mentioned a few times. I thought he was a phenomenal defensive coordinator before he was Mississippi State's head coach. Um, so it might be something like that, uh, you know, or, or – you know somebody else who has some some ties to freeze or Auburn's past, uh, so it'll be interesting what direction they go in. But whoever takes on this job is uh, is going to have their hands full for sure. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call Ferg. What can all of our listeners enjoy over at the Auburn Observer right now? Yeah, you can check out uh, my basketball preview uh, from earlier today. You can look at our roster tracker with uh, everything going on uh, with Auburn, uh, the ins and outs uh, with the uh, with the transfer portal and whatnot. Uh, you've also got uh, plenty of stuff from over the weekend on basketball, uh, and then yeah, we'll have love we'll coverage from tonight's game. Um, you know, podcast later in the week, mailbag, all that good stuff. Go to auburnobserver.com, sign up there. Six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year to get on board. Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call again. Justin, as always, we certainly appreciate the time. We hope you have a great week, and we'll uh, talk to you again soon. Yep, appreciate it, man. That is Justin Ferguson joining us today on Sports Call. Always appreciate Justin for joining the show for a little while and talking all things football and basketball with us. We've only got about three minutes left in the hour here, so we'll keep it right here. Uh, Obviously, these coordinating conversations are going to continue uh, for the coming days and and possibly weeks, depending on timetables. The timetable, at least, is a little less urgent now. I think that that is one thing we've not talked about with the timeline, when we talk about firing head coaches, hiring head coaches, that December signing period is very paramount in terms of getting a headman in there very quickly. 
However, once you pass that period, the assistance that you might bleed on other staffs or you might change that sort of thing don't seem to be as pivotal because most of those players have already committed and, and signed. Uh, heck, a lot of Auburn's players from that class already moved in to the dorms this weekend. There was videos of all that this weekend. And so that probably puts a little bit less of a time crunch as it would obviously finding the head man or finding a new staff prior to the December uh, mid to late December signing period. So I, that's why I'm not so sure that this has to be a very quick process because, again, I, I know people are going to want to figure out who's going to be on offense just for the standpoint, is that somebody that can help you lure Ryan Williams in here? That's the obviously the big prize in the month of February. But other than that, it's not like Auburn's trying to get 12 more players in here in the recruiting world, and or, nor is anyone else for that matter. Yeah, there's some portal targets and that sort of thing but again i'm not i i could be wrong i mean this time tomorrow we could have a new coordinator here and the day after that a new coordinator there and then it'd be done but i'm simply suggesting i don't necessarily think this has to be a quick process given the calendar in this instance no and you know the, the thing is is it, it doesn't have to be like this helter-skelter, oh, we got to get somebody in here. Now, you would like to get them in there sooner rather than later because you want to start building those relationships with the kids that are that are uh, on that just got on campus slash the kids that are already here that have, that have been in the program. Uh, plus, you've got uh, – you start workouts. I think mid-February is when you start those – early workouts right before spring practice starts so you'd like to have them obviously uh, settled in before that uh and then and you know I, I don't know when the next uh, what what the recruiting calendar looks like when when things open back up for you to start going out and visiting again you'd like to have them before that happens though but you know it, it really and especially you know I, I say this to go back to uh you'd like to have them on campus sooner rather than later in this world of the transfer portal, you want you would I think you would rather have them on campus sooner rather than later to start building those relationships because if it's not a good relationship, uh, you know after that spring practice when that portal opens back up, you you may lose some guys that are like oh well they're not good you know the, the, he didn't build as much of a relationship with me as I would have liked so I'm going to go somewhere that that paid me a little bit more attention uh, especially during the recruiting process but I I'm in agreement it does not have to be this helter skelter we got to get somebody on campus now we got to we got to go you can take you a little bit of time you can find someone that's going to be a, a really good fit and uh, and I, I think that could play well because you know I know both of the the coordinator hires especially last year were a little bit you know people were were talking about them and they were you know criticizing them a little bit well Hugh Freeze was trying to get people on campus so that they could finish out that recruiting and everything for for last year's class here you've got this year's class in you've just got that big you know like you said Ryan Williams uh, it could be the the next prize. Uh, but it it doesn't have to be. Uh, you could take a little bit more time in this process. That is Brooks Childress. He's going to be off to uh, Valley, Alabama for Boar Garden Valley tonight. That's why our show will be a little bit shorter today. Brooks, appreciate you being here. Appreciate you filling in on the show the last couple of days, and we look forward to hearing you, Tim Sin, and the guys out there for Boar Garden Basketball tonight. See you there. And that's it for hour number one. Still ahead, one more hour of the show. We'll take more of your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, more about these coordinators, Maybe a word or two about the transfer portal. Well, I know there'll be a word or two about the transfer portal and a word or two about the national championship game last night as the college football season has officially come to a close. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9.
One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second and final hour of the show today, Sports Call on this Tuesday, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Tom Peavy with you here for this second and final hour is, again, Borgard High School basketball will be coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, around 5.15 or 5.20 there, time for that. So we're getting off air at 5 o'clock today. With that, we've got a couple phone calls lined up, so let's get to them on the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one 9 tiger 9 Next up on the show, Tony from Tuskegee. Tony is with us. Tony, how are you today? I'm fine. How about yourself? Doing well. All right. Yeah, I give it. Five or six years, college football will no longer be regulated or, you know, authorized by the school. I mean, it's too much money becoming involved. You look at that guy at Ole Miss. He led what him in Russia. Where is he at now? Ohio State? Yes. And the guy at Alabama that couldn't, he, he wouldn't have ever stayed on campus uh the center. Where is he at, Ohio State? Yeah, I think he transferred but, to Ohio State, too. Yep. Yeah, but look how these kids are leaving the school. 17 from Alabama in the transfer board, and I think six of them, six of them have already indicated their destination. I mean, uh, you know, you take a center, he don't have an NIL deal, and you take a quarterback behind him, he's hiking the ball to him. He's got a million, two million dollar NIL deal. Just say eating that Longhorn, and that seller could just get him a burger at McDonald's. I mean, it, 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 it's taken away for football. When a kid comes to school now, if he get a million dollars, sign an NIL deal this freshman year. I mean, a million or two million. I mean, education then is a Basically, a second thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was a. I think that was one of the chief concerns of, of opponents to it. I, and I think that there would have been a much smarter thing to again open it up with regulations. They just made it a free for all, and that's why everyone is now frantically trying to find a way to police something because of just how enormous these figures have already gotten in just a year or two of this. Oh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I really think it's hurting. It, 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 it's hurting college football. And basically, recruiting is not now. You go to a school now, and you don't like it, you opt for the portal. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's uh, again as you said, even even these schools that are still very successful, uh, like the Alabama and Georgias of the world. I mean, even if you want to look at Ohio State, I mean, I know they didn't love their quarterback, but the starting quarterback at Ohio State transferred. I mean that that is not uh, that has not been a common practice, and uh, now it is becoming uh, fairly common for even starters of good teams to to be leaving. Yeah, and you look at. The games now, the um, the officiating in those games in college and pro and professional, it's just about the same. Look like the officials are dictating games. You know, once a team gets to going and um, officials slow down the momentum, that's a game changer itself. Yeah, so. I mean, it can be. Officiating is. I don't think anyone likes officiating at, at almost any level. I, I think no. that uh, I think that some of it goes into trying to make these guys full time and have more training for them and have a bigger part of uh, part of their life than just a, a part time job in a certain part of the year. But uh, I, I think that uh, we we've continually seen a, a lot of errors in that department, and and that has not changed from sport to sport. And holding is a call you particularly get. Call every player of the game. Somebody that's, uh, you know, they say they didn't let him go quick enough. He wrapped his arm. But that's a call can dictate every game, just like just like baseball. You know, ref got his own strike zone. Sure. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you're referring to the, the holding that they called on, on Washington last night. Uh, yeah, yeah, which which Michigan did several times far worse than that was not called, and it was just it's not that that was any one team they were trying to slide, but yeah, it was just poor. It was not uh, officiated the same way from from sequence to sequence. Yeah, so um, I don't know. You know, it's gonna get to the point where whoever got the uh, spending the most money win the championships now. With Texas getting in the SEC, you can imagine with the money they spend and the money they got, they'll be getting basically who they want if it comes to NIL. Yeah, I mean, it, look, they, but but look, there's still going to be development too. I mean, again, and I'm going to get to cite this one. This one is obviously heinously bad, and I'll get to cite it forever. But look at Texas A&M. They spent the most money for a couple of years, and, and they got absolutely nothing out of it. So there still is a continuity part to it. There's still development. Those things might be lesser than what they were, but they still are present because, uh, it, again, if it was simply up to just recruiting, then a team like Washington wouldn't have even been in the title. And I'm, I know they, they got Penix out of the portal, so that was a part of it. But but still, it's not like Washington football spent more than all these SEC schools, and and for that matter, Michigan is is cer- certainly really high up there. But did they spend more in the last couple of years than Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia? Probably not. So yeah. uh, I, there is some relativity to it for sure. But but there is still got to be something that connects the dots to all that that money trail. Yeah, I got one other question. How sure. long was Jeremy Pruitt? Um, faded away from the um, SEC or NCA with that um with those sanctions was he I think it was a six year show cause, uh, which began I guess after he uh, got removed from Tennessee three years ago. So 
I, I know they levied a six-year penalty to him this year. I'm not sure if that started this year or if it is backtracked to when he got fired, but it was six years. So it's either so it, go he ahead. can't coach within six years. Huh? Yeah, well, not uh, yeah, not without a uh, great reason from the uh, NCAA. <clears throat> yeah. So who do you think Alabama narrowed down to with Kevin Steele supposedly retiring? Yeah, that's a good question. I have not uh, – I, I did see Steele retire last night. Man, there was some news even during the championship game last night between him and Quinshaw Judkins transferring. I had not thought too much about it, uh, but honestly, Tony, I, I think that uh, they obviously they, – they finally made a bad hire a couple years ago with Pete Golding. Uh, they they corrected that. I thought Kevin Steele was still a, a very good defensive coordinator. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and look, honestly, with, with Nick Saban, there's only – even a bad hire like Golding can only wreck things so much. So I, I'm not sure who it is. Uh, obviously, I, I think Saban would probably want to – I think he'd want to get someone older, more experienced, just at his stage in his career. I would think that he's going to want somebody that has been through it and kind of like Kevin Steele since that was how – what he did to get back on track after Golding. But – uh, I I don't know. I I don't have a, a good list of names for you right now. Yeah, I saw ten. Um, they had a thing on a list of ten guys, um, potential hires, and um, but out of all everything, and I'm gonna end it with this. They talking about save saving um retiring. I don't know when, but I think Lane Kiffin is Alabama next coach. I think it's very possible, and I, I know Lane Kiffin certainly has a lot of reverence for uh, Nick Saban and, and for that Alabama program. I, I'm sure he would want it. Uh, I don't know if uh, Alabama is going to want some. I, not, I don't want to call them antics because they're not. I'm not bothered by them. I wanted him for Auburn last year, but he's obviously very much in the social media. He gets a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, a little bit out there from time to time, but I certainly yeah, but, think he's a really good coach, and so I don't know yeah, if the, that's the way they lean. But out of all the talk on social media, when you look at it, you never hear Nick nothing bad in Alabama or nothing Nick anything bad about Saban. Sure, no, no, I know, and that's why I said he has a lot of reverence for him. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody else, like a Texas A&M or Jimbo Fish, anybody else, you make some type of wild comment. But um, for some reason, that Alabama Nick Saban keeps it kind of close, close. But anyway, guys, I enjoy talking to you all today. Yes, sir. And um, I want to say hello to Sad Crawford, one of all the greatest fans. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Yeah. And you all have a good day. Thanks. Appreciate it, Tony. That is Tony from Tuskegee joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. One name I did think of while we were talking was I know DJ Durkin was named as potential fit for defensive coordinator yeah. uh, for Alabama. Uh, beyond that, though, I did not have a uh, a big list of them. Yeah. The one thing I wanted <clears> – <throat> excuse me. The one thing I wanted to say, you know, when and if Nick Saban retires, you know, and obviously there's going to be a bunch of names that are thrown out there. Uh, for the longest time, everybody talked about Dabo Sweeney. Obviously, Link Kiffin's going to be a name. Sarkeesian's going to be a name. All these names are going to be thrown out there. But the big question is, 
does somebody actually want to take that? And I don't mean just take the Alabama job because, yes, that is such a prestigious job. But do you want to be the guy that follows Nick Saban? And, you know, you can go back through history and look. And I would would say probably nine times out of ten, whoever replaces the legend like that usually does not fare that well. I mean, obviously, you know, if you go back and you look at Bear, or at Bear Bryant's times at Alabama, Ray Perkins came in, that did not work out so well. And then Bill Curry did not work out so well. You can go back and look at numerous other legendary coaches, and the people that replace them, usually, it just usually does not work out that great because the expectations are, are usually uh, to an extent that you just can't handle it. And so – Sure, those big names are going to be thrown out there to replace Nick Saban uh, when and if he goes, but do those big-name guys actually want to do that? Do they want to be that guy that that has to step in there and replace Nick Saban? I don't know that. Um, but that's that's here nor there. That has not happened yet. Um, sure. There's just rumor out there right now. Right now they're trying to find a defensive coordinator, and uh, in that case there will be plenty of big names because you can go and work for Nick Saban. Uh, I don't know if they're going to go the old tried and true route with a with a proven defensive coordinator or try to get the young up and coming guy that is willing to jump in there and learn under Nick Saban and become part of that tree that that uh, that works under Saban and then moves on to big things. So don't know what they're going to do, but a lot of names out there, uh, a lot of names thrown out for the Auburn job as well. We'll just have to see where it goes. All right, right back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 local or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up, Ward Damn Steve. Retire Ward Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you today? I'm doing good, but more importantly, I'm glad you're feeling better because you're back to the show, so welcome back. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Now, um, I'm glad you are so much better because I was worried about you uh, I kept watching the score uh, from Tampa Bay. I said, "Oh my God!" You know, three to nothing, six to nothing, and uh, thankfully you have a good field goal kicker. Yeah, so it actually—I told you the stat. I don't think I told you the whole stat on the phone beforehand. He's actually—he had the most accurate season in Tampa Bay Buccaneers history this year. He—he he actually did not. He missed two field goals, but they were both blocked. So he did not actually kick a miss this year. And you know when you say that, I've always wondered this: How come field goal kickers are usually an afterthought by many, if not most, NFL teams, and they so they 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 go undrafted, right? They're free agents. Sure, I, I think it's because ultimately, uh, yes, you could have a close game decided by a kicker or a, an entire game like McLaughlin did, but in the scope of your team, there's so kickers don't really correlate if they're good or bad to if their team's any good. Whereas if you have a good offensive line, that's a good start to a team. If you have a good quarterback, so on and so forth. They're just, they, it's not that they don't matter at all. It's just that there's only certain situations that they matter, and those situations are not necessarily as often as all the other positions. Uh, that may well be. However, maybe my memory uh, recollection of some of these games that are legendary uh, came down a few goal kickers either missing a field goal or missing an extra point. And I said, wow, you know, uh, they need to get a field kicker. So, anyway, let's go because my time and your time is very limited. Do you want to talk about the game last night or our basketball game tonight? Uh, both. Both if we have time. Which one do you prefer? Uh, let's go with uh, game tonight. Game tonight. Okay. Uh, of course, you know all stats. We're Coach Pro is 1-5 yep. against uh, Buzz Williams. Uh, why? 
Take a fine though. But I said, well, we're seven and a half point favorite. What is, uh, what is Vegas know, right? Because uh, we were only a two and a half point favorite over Arkansas. What does that tell you? So I'm looking at stats, guys, and I know stats don't tell you everything. And uh, of course, Justin Ferguson, I heard his comments, and yeah, it's true. They, A&M, is number one in offensive rebounding right now in college basketball. I said, uh oh, that's not good. And then I looked at these two stats, guys, and they seem to me to overpower that stat. Here's the stats I'm referring to. Three-point line. you happen to know how bad they are this season, A&M? Uh, I don't off the top of my head, no. Under They're 30, damn bad. Under 30%? 350, 350 nationally at 26.6%. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. How many teams are there, by the way? 362. 360, yeah, 360-something. Okay, and then I look at this stat, and overall shooting percentage is currently ranking them 288. Do you know who's only worse than them in the SEC? Vandy. Vanderbilt. Yep, yep. Okay, well, given that, I'm saying, then please tell me, Tom, I know you always love to say it happens, but we're playing at home. Surely, you know, this has got to stop. Uh, I know you've got our numbers, but this our team is balanced, and I know the people I'm looking for tonight are Janai Broom. He's got to he's got definitely you know, be on the rim and guarding it. And then I'm looking for Dylan Cardwell to to do his part just as well, and Aiden Holloway. But guys, why should this be a toenail or thumbnail game for us? Because it happens. <laughs> uh, I knew he was going to say that. Okay, okay. So, I'll, I'll wait for that one. Well, let's talk a little bit about the teams A&M has played. Okay, and, and look. They're 9-5. and five. Right, I understand, and, and the LSU game was, is really bad. There's, there's no defending the LSU game. Uh, but there are other stuff. They beat Ohio State. That's a pretty decent team. Uh, they beat SMU. That's a pretty decent team. Beat Penn State. They lost to Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic's pretty good, though. They beat Iowa State. They lost to Virginia. That's not a good one just because of how bad they, they scored in that game. Lost to Memphis. Memphis is a top 15 team. Lost to Houston by four. Houston is an excellent team. Uh, so they have obviously had offensive travails. That, that is no secret. Uh, but they're hanging around these games, and they're hanging around these games and winning a few of them against the, the, the middling teams because of that physicality that uh, Justin Ferguson talked a little bit about. And that's what, you know, I think Auburn has improved at that. But that is something that makes sense. If you think about Auburn basketball teams the last five or six years, you don't necessarily think of them as being physical, dominating teams. Now, I think this team is is more physical because it is more balanced, and there is some physicality even at the three and four position. Uh, but I think that, that it's just a different style of team. Now, obviously, their offense has been awful. Uh, when you're shooting that poor, you certainly hope it continues. But I would point out, and I, we didn't get to ask Ferg about this, but he did start to talk about some of their players. Their top three players were on their team last year on on a really good A&M team. Wade Taylor, Henry Coleman, and Tyrese Radford. I know yeah, those I mean, names. They killed us last year, yeah, I know. I know those names very well, and Auburn does as well. So don't look at this as some, some scrub team that, that doesn't have a chance at the tournament or anything like that. They're playing below what they should be playing at, uh, honestly. They, they are better than what they have shown this year. And so they their season go one of two ways. They could either toughen up and, and shoot the ball just a little bit better and, and end up a tournament team, 
or they can end up just breaking up a bunch of stuff all season long and, and being around 500 and, and just being the ver- worst version of themselves. But it's not like this team has no capability. They, they do have a ceiling to them. Well, I know they do, but I'm just reading from Nathan King, too. You know, guys, we win this game tonight, and we have a realistic you know, uh, shot at going 5-0 and until we get the more tougher games coming up. No, I agree. I mean, I, I think that when you're looking at uh, their schedule, obviously hosting LSU this weekend, you love that. Look, it is at Vanderbilt. That gym is never fun, right. but Vandy's not any good this year. You host Ole Miss, who had a wake-up call against Tennessee, and then finally you go to Alabama. So uh, I, I think that uh, you're, you're right about that, that this and probably uh, that, uh, I don't know, Ole Miss or Vandy, I don't know which one would be tougher there. Ole Miss is better than Vandy, but one's on the road. Anyway, Auburn has a really good chance, I agree, to start 5-0. Okay, so, Tom, yes. I hope to gosh I don't have to think about you tonight saying, well, it happens. <laughs> I hope not either. I, look, Auburn is better than Texas A&M. Auburn's playing better than Texas A&M. They've got them at home, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, all that stuff. It, yes, Auburn should do that. But, again, Texas A&M came into Auburn and ended Auburn's long home winning streak. So, A&M's a pair. They're, they're obviously not afraid to come in here and, and, and you know, face the, face the monster that is the jungle. But, uh. I mean, yeah, Auburn should win this one. Auburn should handle business. Really, honestly, I mean, with the way that Auburn is playing right now, there should just only be two teams that really concern you, and that's Kentucky and Tennessee. Okay, now, I thought you were going to say Tennessee and Alabama. I mean, Alabama's Alabama's good, but I mean, they're they have not they've not been beating the teams that I mean, they've been, they have played they have played a hell of a competition. They haven't won any of them. Um, they're still good, and I mean, there's going to be some concern there, especially when you have to play them in Tuscaloosa. But as far as teams that are playing at the level that Auburn is right now, it's Kentucky and Tennessee. Nobody else is. You could have said Ole Miss, but they just got beat by double digits by Tennessee. So if Auburn keeps playing at the level that they have been playing, then Texas A&M should not be a worry whatsoever. And, and, And I'm hoping that's going to be the case. But you also have to understand Again, something else that I mentioned is uh, I believe, Steve, that you asked this about the Arkansas game. Is is that the ceiling? Is that the peak? Well, you hope that's not, but you also have to understand that they, they are not going to beat everybody in the SEC by 30-something points. That's just not realistic. That's just not going to happen. So in this Texas A&M game, there is a real chance that Auburn beats them by 30 points. That That's a possibility. There's also a possibility that you are down to a one possession game in the fourth in the uh, the waning periods of this game, hoping to goodness that you hit a clutch shot. That is also a very real possibility. So, uh, you know, just take it for what it is, enjoy the ride, and uh, hopefully you don't have to have your heart medication. Yeah. Okay, thank you for that. All right, it's like so a roller coaster. Jump, let's jump to. Oh, any of you guys going to the game tonight? Yes, I'll be covering it. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, let's jump to. Uh, the the, the saga is all ongoing saga, as I call it, with uh, our football. Uh, I did not really think, from talking to you guys as well, you had me pretty much convinced that Ron Sanders was safe. And now I saw it last night. Wow. And then what got me really head scratching, okay, what in the world are you doing going to Florida? Uh, that's not a, a jump up. That, to me, is treacherous, more treacherous than your Auburn job uh, would have ever been. Because from everything I'm reading, this may be, 
Napier's uh, last uh, stand uh, this coming season. Guys, why do you think he went to Florida? Yeah, look, it's a good question, and even Ferg was a little perplexed. I, I don't know if it was mentioned yesterday or not. I wonder if the hiring of Charles Kelly was more in preparation for this or if it was unrelated and then, therefore, Ron Roberts was like, what are you doing hiring a co-DC for me? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. Um, I don't know if there's something where there's more of a style fit that Hugh Freeze wants a, a different a different style of defense. I don't know if for Roberts, uh, you know, he he might get, even though he was D.C. here, maybe he's still getting a pay, a slight pay raise at Florida. I, I don't know. Uh, hopefully more details will come out in the next uh, couple of days or weeks, but Certainly on the surface uh, is an odd move for both parties. And, uh, again, I think the sentiment here with us is that Ron Roberts did a pretty good job this year. Yeah, you can pick at one or two things, but uh, I I thought he did a pretty good job. So uh, that was a surprising one. There's no doubt about it. And no mention was made by 247 Sports Rider or anybody else. uh, Was there no buyout involved in this? Uh, I think he's leaving on his own volition. So in that case, there would not be a buyout. Okay, so – about some of those questions. Well, according to Philip Marshall's column today, he said the following. He said that he also thought Roberts would be safe, and then he says this. Apparently there were conflicts going back to when Wesley McGriff came off the field at midseason. Quote, all I know about the events that led to McGriff being moved off the field is that there was some sort of disagreement that involved him, Zach Etheridge, and Roberts. Beyond that, I would only be speculating. So, guys, uh, did you have any clue about any of those individuals being involved in Roberts uh, leaving? No. I mean, look, obviously Wesley McGriff ends up here leaving for A&M, which is why Auburn brings in Kelly. So, look, if you're trying to read some tea leaves on a situation that appeared to be fine but apparently was not fine – I mean, that's probably a, a, a point that I would study, too. Again, we don't have any special inside information on it, but uh, you know, coaches sometimes get funny about whether they're on or off the field, in the booth, not that sort of thing. And the McGriff step away was a little, uh, again, caught some people off guard. They, they handled it well, I thought. Um, but obviously he opts to end up coaching somewhere else this year, so – Things were not probably perfect in his mind, and if he had a good relationship with Roberts, then you stand to reason that maybe that could have been a, a, a breaking point a little bit there. But, uh, again, I don't know any of those things for sure, but I, I can see why the logic would kind of lead towards that, that, that line of thinking. And that may have had some due to Marshall with Keontae Scott deciding to go to the Portland and deciding, of course, he's coming back, right? Yeah, and again, that one was surprising too. Uh, we we had not talked about him yet. Obviously, he announced last night that he is for sure coming back. Uh, that had been he had made a video, which you you know videos I don't guess mean everything, but you put the time into a video, you think that's pretty concrete. And he did that about three or four weeks ago. Then obviously, as you said uh, last week, the rumors that he was going in the portal, uh, and now is officially coming back. So how that ties in? Not 100% sure, but again, I understand if people want to try to try to draw some conclusions based off all the, the kind of musical chairs of, of McGriff and of Roberts and of Scott. Okay, we can go now jump to last night's 
what I call the vomit game for me because I sure didn't want the cheaters to win. Uh, but, but, but they did. And, uh, you know, I was really disappointed in the lack of performance by, uh, is it, uh, Pence, is that his name? Penix. Penix. Penix, yeah. Yep. Uh, he just looked unprepared, guys. And then I really just couldn't believe that the coach in the last three and a half minutes of that game didn't pull him out because he was hurting. Guys, what'd you think of uh, the coach not pulling him out? I mean, I, I think that if Michael Penix wants to finish finish the game, he's going to finish. He's going to finish the game. That's the last game of his college career. So I, I, I didn't think anything of that. I mean, uh, if Penix wants to stay, he should stay. I, I think that it was disappointing to see him play poorly. Obviously, he did get banged up later in the game. I don't think that had anything to do with his poor first three quarters. I, I you know, it was disappointing. I think Michigan's O line, excuse me, Michigan's D line put a, a little bit more pressure on than what he's used to, but still I, I think that he was off uh and for that it was uh, uncharacteristic and a little disappointing. And maybe well because I was focusing on on the team I wanted to win. Gosh guys, I thought there was some really uh can't say home cooking because they, they weren't from the Big Ten, but man, there were some holding calls that to, to me, I said, well, why aren't you calling them? You know, and they weren't being called against uh, Michigan. It was often apparently they were being called by on the other side. And passing the first calls, I said, wow. I said, if I had known that, I thought it was home cooking. But then I'm going to leave you with, with this one about this is what I call the astonishing statement of the night after the game. And I said, wow. I mean, uh, what alternative facts and alternative universe uh, does this person happen to live in? And I don't know if any writers have challenged him that were there or reporters, but this is a, the, the statement that said, wow, this is just unbelievable. This is incredulous. And it went like this. He says, it went exactly how we wanted to go to win every game, according to Harbaugh, after the, the, the game was over. He said, the off-the-field issues, quote, were innocent, were innocent. And we stood strong and tall because we knew we were innocent. And I'd like to point that out. These guys are innocent. Overcome that. It wasn't that hard because we knew we were innocent. How many times did he say innocent? Uh, I lost count. But I'm thinking, really? And where are the sports writers that might have said, um, hold on, Coach Harbo, uh, that's not what the Big Ten commissioner thought about what was um, led to your being suspended for a number of games. Guys, what did you make of those comments and those statements? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously, I don't see things the same way as he does, but I mean, are we going to be? I mean, are we surprised? Is he going to go up there and say, you know, hey, I'm so glad that we uh, we cheated and uh, we still won well, no, anyway? No, and, no, but, but to, to just to blatantly repeat over and over again a mistruth that we were innocent when you were suspended, man. Yeah, I mean, sometimes people lie and sometimes people fabricate. I mean, I, I hate to be so matter of fact about it, but. Uh, it, it is sometimes, uh, you know, co- coaches inherently do it sometimes just with coach speak. They, they try to say something in a very nonchalant or uh, underspoken manner just to avoid what might be an ugly truth. Technically, I, I hate to go down this road, but we're, we're doing it. Technically, if, if, a, if a player makes an awful throw or an awful penalty and the t- coach takes the blame for it, He's kind of directing you away from what's true. I mean, depending on how it is, it could be a lie, not a lie, whatever. But it's like I cost us the game. Well, I mean, if if a player made a, a game changing play, it is it is fathomable that a player cost you the game and not the coach. Now that's that's way more admirable in our view because you're defending some, defending someone and you're being a leader and and that sort of thing. But there's a lot of ways in which 
they get up there and lie or, or, or mislead or something in that way. Now, this is a way more heinous version of it. Okay, again, I'm not trying to say these are the same things. But I don't expect, again, and we've talked about it, I don't expect a lot of these guys to be the beacon of, of honesty or the beacon of morality uh, in life. And, and with Harbaugh, again, I, I think it's very clear they cheated. Uh, everyone can have their conversations on what should happen because of that, what they should be, uh, pun- how they should be punished, and that sort of thing. And so he's obviously lying, and he's being very bullish about it. But that's what I thought. Yeah, and no one seemed to challenge it. Or there at the at the at the, at the, at the post game comments when he made them. Uh, right, but you know, it also takes a lot of gall to do that because obviously, if he's bringing it up and is not going to tell you the truth about it. Like That's not going to change because you push back on it. So then you're just going to get into a heated exchange, and then he's going to hate your guts, and then he's not going to answer any more of your questions going forward. So really, what do you stand to gain from it other than, okay, at least I said something? You know, I I mean, I I don't know. There's not – the leverage is not necessarily on the the reporting there. So uh, you just – unfortunately, you just kind of let those things go. You let the NCAA process play out. And, and look, in, in the NCAA process, if in six months they, they get him for more things or they, they, they strap some penalties down, then, then that's the proof that he lied, and, and, and then he'll have to deal with that. So uh, I, I think it's more about the judgment in the future than what you're saying in the moment. I agree. And what you say has, has merit. Uh, I guess it's always been my position. I don't believe in letting people who lie to just go and get away with it. And no one challenged it. Okay, uh, so that's it. So, guys, uh, maybe this is way too early, but uh, do you want to know who the twelve teams uh, are going to be in the playoffs next year? Uh, I, I I know you're being facetious. So, so no, I, no, I'm not being facetious. I'm going Vegas. I've already decided who they're going to be. Well, again, they're that's still facetious. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can go for it, but this got to be our last thing, Steve, because we, okay. we're running this out low it. on time. This is it. I'm going to do it the way the ESPN pundits do it, you know, when they're doing the, the countdown. So we go to the worst ones, okay? Yep. Um, so we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Okay, number 12 that gets in is Notre Dame. Okay. Number 11, Penn State. Okay. Number 10, Clemson. Interesting. Okay, jump up for them. Number nine, Florida State. Interesting. Got to replace a lot. Number eight, Ole Miss. They are going to be ranked highly next year. Number seven, LSU. Interesting. Got to replace Jaden Daniels. Going to be tough. Number six, Oregon. Yeah, they they got Dylan Gabriel, so they they might have a shot at it. Number five, Michigan. Okay. Interesting. Number four, Texas. Okay, Quinn Ewers should be back. Number three. Ohio State. Yep, big portal hall. Number two. Alabama. The team down Georgia. the road. Alabama. Yep. Alabama and Georgia's number number one. Yep. So there you are, guys. Those are 12 teams. Well, we'll line them up and see what happens. Guess what? It won't well, be that. <laughs> well, just Taking a shot in the dark. Then it won't be all 12, yeah. Yeah, just taking uh, a shot in the dark. There. If you want uh, to go ahead and take Auburn, uh, you might do very well. Just put down $100 because we're 10,000 to one. Yeah, you would win a lot, but Auburn's going to need to win a lot. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks for your time. My time is way, way up, and uh, I'm glad to see you're feeling a lot better, and I hope you have an enjoyable time at the uh, game tonight. Yes, sir. Until tomorrow, guys, War Eagle.
Oriole Steve, appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Ward Am Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to hit our next timeout of the show. We are starting to run low on time for the show. When we come back, we'll have time for maybe one more quick phone call. We'll start to wrap up this shorter edition of Sports Call here on this Tuesday afternoon on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player and national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy with you here. Final segment of the show already today. Already. Because of a two-hour show, Borgard High School basketball coming on our airwaves about 5.15, 5.20 or so as they take on Valley. And also on FM Talk 93.9 tonight, we'll have Smith Station basketball. They're taking on Auburn High. So big ball night in high yeah. school tonight. So that's why we're getting off air in a little bit. Tom Peavy saw some news Oof. during our last phone call, during our last segment. And, I'm breaking uh, news on yeah. the sports call. Yesterday it was defensive coordinator uh, news. But that- today it's some baseball news. I'm just going to read this. To our incredible fans, 2024 will be the Mississippi Braves' final season in Pearl, Mississippi. The AA affiliate of the Atlanta Braves will be relocating to Columbus, Georgia as the start of the 2025 season. Yeah. Columbus, Georgia, ladies and gentlemen, getting the AA Braves affiliate. Isn't that something? That's, that is awesome. Um, now, I'll say this. Growing up in Columbus, I used to go and watch AA baseball there back in the day. People always remember the Carolina Mudcats and that yep. the, the – the very famous logo of the sea with the catfish coming through. That was the Columbus Mudcats. That logo is Columbus Mudcats logo that ended up becoming the Carolina Mudcats. That was a double A affiliate uh, back in the day. Um, when I first started going, they were the Columbus Astros, double A affiliate Astros, and then they changed their name to the Columbus Mudcats. And then they went, dropped down to like a single A Indians, and then they just kind of fell off the thing is though in columbus they've still got golden park there uh it is very old it is very outdated uh but apparently columbus georgia is going to do a full revitalization project uh they have to on golden park just to be able to get a minor league team in there any minor league team much less a double a affiliate because major league baseball has like specific rules for these stadiums that you have to have for them to put a team there. And right now, Golden Park doesn't have anything of that except for a diamond and some seats. So full revitalization of that entire area around Golden Park, a full renovation and upgrade of Golden Park. I will be curious to see what that looks like. Um, but at 2025 season, it will it, the double A affiliate of the Columbus or the double A affiliate of the Atlanta Braves will be in Columbus, Georgia. So 
for any minor league baseball fans around here like me, I've always been going to Montgomery and watching the Biscuits. I've got a Biscuits jersey. We go every opening night. We usually try to get there for their last playoff game or whatever. We've kind of become big uh, Montgomery Biscuits fans. Do I become a Columbus <laughs> fan now? Because, I mean, I the Braves are my team. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't know what to do. I'm kind of torn. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good. It's going to be a good problem to have. I know Brooks wow. is going to be ecstatic. He loves, 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 loves minor league baseball. He used yep. to go all the time down there in the 251, you know, Mobile games and Pensacola games and all that. So uh, he's going to be ecstatic. And I think we're all going to be wanting to – go see some uh, Braves baseball because that's going to be now the closest affiliate. Obviously, Atlanta had been the closest. I know that Rome's kind of over there and Gwinnett's kind of all pretty close over there in the suburbs, but right. uh, but Columbus decidedly closer. So that's going to be a great opportunity for sure. Uh, so very exciting news that the Braves were moving their AA affiliate to Columbus, Georgia. Uh, and as you said, 2025. So that work on the stadium will be happening all in 2024 pretty well, much. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Right now there's no team there that they have to work around. I mean, it is a baseball park that is just sitting abandoned right there as you cross the river into Columbus. If you if you go to the hockey games or any other games over there in Columbus, when you cross the river, the baseball stadium is right, right there. there. Yep, so, absolutely. But it will be occupied very soon. In two years. We're going to grab one more phone call here before the end of the show. 334-887-3401 locally or toll free. one 889 tiger 9 Next up. Matt from Tallahassee. Matt is with us. Matt, again, we only have a couple minutes for the end of the show. Hope you're doing well today. I'm doing fine. Hey, Tom, how you doing? I'm just fine. You ever tell your girlfriend I still pray to come? She hears you talk about her all the time. Okay. Yeah, I want to talk about like um some of the commitments for you guys. Like, uh, what do you guys think about the player we got on the Maryland transfer tied in and the one that flips from Auburn to uh, the one from Florida, flips from Florida to Auburn? And do you know that uh, before you answer that question, do you know Auburn's on a seven winning streak and they're seven and zero at home? Uh, talking about in basketball, yeah, yeah, no, uh, definitely on a win streak. They have not lost, um, I believe, since the Appalachian State game. So, and that was a road game. Uh, so their home winning streak dates back uh, into the previous year. But uh, yeah, the, those those two commitments, uh, Rico Walker, the tight end out of Maryland, he was just a freshman this year, didn't play much, only had four catches for him. Uh, was a four star recruit out of high school there. Uh, so he'll be joining that Auburn tight end room that did lose a couple of players. And then I, I think you're thinking of D'Angelo Trill Carter from uh, Texas, a defensive lineman, 6'2", 300 pounds, uh, played multiple years as a starter at Texas, 10 career tackles for a loss, five career sacks. So uh, Auburn there, getting a couple Power 5 transfers there. The, the one I'm talking about is like three reasons. Three reasons it, his last name Williams put from Florida to Auburn. That's uh, a high school player. Talking about Amaris Williams. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wait, he flipped. He flipped Auburn about a month ago. Uh, he he was in the signing class in December. And what do you guys think about that? You think that would probably help Auburn do better and and stuff like that? Yes. Uh, definitely another solid get. They they flipped two Florida players, Jamonte Waller and Am- Amaris Williams, there in the final couple weeks leading up the signing day. So again, they were very happy about both, and Auburn needed some guys. 
up in the front seven, and they got some. Well, I, I, saw, I saw number zero, Scott. Did he transfer? Yeah, transfer him over, did he come back? Keontae Scott, he, uh, he announced again last night he is officially coming back. Okay, and... Did, and you said like they, the Auburn did hire an offense coordinator. They have not. They have not yet hired an offense coordinator. It's just that Hugh Freeze will be calling plays next year. Okay, so do you know if they're going to still get maybe um, Dean Chizik or Damon Craig as a defense coordinator? Do you know or Mike Bobo? Oh uh, yeah, never, not not Mike no, Bobo. No more. No not, more not, Bobo. Not, not him. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what where they're going to go um, both sides yet. Craig has been someone mentioned on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously has a great rapport with wide receivers. Uh, we'll see. Again, we're, we're going to see what kind of role this, this new what, hire what, will have. What about well, – I mean, I wrote to you. I'm sorry. What do you think about Kenny Dunlap? About uh, who again? Kenny, Kenny – uh, Damlet or Dillingham? Yeah. The he's the head coach of Arizona State. He will he will continue to be the head coach of Arizona State. Oh, uh, okay. I thought his name for uh decent corner or something like that. So, but uh, yeah, I think I think Damon I think Damon Craig would be good. Um, I don't know how long how long how long has uh, Gus been at uh, UTF for now? Uh, well, he he took the UCF job the year he got fired from Auburn, so he's coached there three years now. Is there a way of possibility that like T three can probably bring Gus? No, he he will he will be at UCF. He will not be coming back to Auburn. Okay, and you're going to be at the game tonight, right? Uh, working, yes. Okay, is JJ going to be with you or no? J- JJ has a, a different different job to do. Okay, Tom, are you going to the game? Uh, no, I will be at the fire department doing fire department work. Well, good luck. Tell, tell all your buddies I said thank you for their service. We'll do it. And I'll talk to you guys Monday. And, and like, uh, if you guys hear from Steve tomorrow, I, I know you didn't ask any questions. I asked you questions for April, but if you want to know what I'm doing in April swimming, like I said, um, if James wants to know too, I can give him the answers by next Monday. All right, sounds good, Matt. Hope you have a great evening. I worry, guys. Worry, that is Matt from Tallahassee. Matt for Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are already down to our last couple minutes of the show. Uh, these two-hour shows, when you have a lot of things to talk about, I, again, yeah. I, I say this every so often during this time of year because we have shorter shows because of high school sports and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of unbelievable that we used to do two-hour shows, and I know that that's still the norm for a lot, but. Sometimes, sometimes it, it, it wanes a little bit, especially in the summer. I'm not going to lie to you. But sometimes you, you don't get it all in. Did, hardly said a word about the national title game last night. So that's something we'll have to talk yeah. about tomorrow. Did, hardly said a word. In fact, did not say a single word about coaches being fired in the National Football League. That's something we'll have to hit on tomorrow. Later in the week, we'll have to get to uh, more NFL playoff stuff. We really didn't get to much Auburn and Texas A&M tonight. That's a pretty important basketball game. Texas A&M has had Auburn's number the last five or six years. Auburn needs to make sure that does not happen tonight. They are getting serious national recognition, moved up to number 16 in the AP poll. Joe Lenardi, if you care about bracketology, has Auburn as a three seed right now. So this is like, hey, don't mess up this amazing momentum that Auburn basketball has. There's a lot we hardly talked about today. (laughs) 
That was a fun show, well, though. Ken Palm, all the Ken Palm rankings, which normally all the Auburn fans are like, I can't believe Ken Palm has us so low when we're playing so good. Well, now Ken Palm has, like, Auburn is, like, number five overall or something crazy like that with all their little metrics. So, I agree. Don't mess it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, real quickly. No heart pills for Steve. Yeah, or anybody else yeah, that wears yeah. orange and blue. Uh, real quickly, the Nightly TV Guide is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. You do have uh, men's college basketball tonight. Number six, Kentucky taking on Missouri. That's at Rupp Arena again, 6 o'clock ESPN2. Number two, Houston. Remember, that's a team Texas A&M played very close. They only lost to Houston by four. Houston is number two in the country. They travel to Iowa State, 6 o'clock on ESPN2. You got some Ivy League stuff. Yale at Brown, 6 o'clock ESPNU. Again, number 16, Auburn, takes on Texas A&M. That's at 8 o'clock inside of Neville Arena. That's on ESPN2. One movie pick is The Avengers. 6 o'clock on FX and that is Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer and that is how the show will end on this Tuesday. Tom Peavy, thank you very much for being here. We will see you again tomorrow. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Again, we also appreciate Brooks Childress for joining us. Borgard High School Basketball coming up around 515-520 right here on Tiger 95.9. Smith Station Basketball against Auburn High coming up around 520 or so over on FM Talk 93.9. We thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us today. And as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.